Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Good morning. Little weather better this week? Yes. Yes. Okay, good. I can see that. Welcome back to church. It's great to have you. Hey, if you've got your Jesus Project book, make sure you take it out. Week one, we looked at Jesus from ages zero to 30, and we saw that intentional routines actually revealed his destiny and actually built into the person he became. And then last week, what a brilliant teaching by Pastor Keith. If you missed it because of the weather, make sure you go online. And and we we explored his working years. And do you remember how Pastor Keith ended that gathering? It was a great thing. He said, he said, every day at work is a bring to Jesus is a bring Jesus to work day. You know, you bring your kids to work. Every day is an opportunity to bring Jesus to work with you. What a great teaching. And this week, this week we're gonna explore, we're gonna explore what that was in Jesus. That no matter who it was, whether it was the crowds, the religious leaders, the power brokers, his family, or his friends, they couldn't dissuade him from the mission that God had called him to do. Uh, Now, that wasn't because he was stubborn. It's because he got his approval in the right places. And we're going to explore that today. But before we do, do you remember in week one, I told you that we're going to frame this teaching series with a couple of thoughts. And I gave you one in week one. It was simply this, that Jesus is not just our savior. He's our example. And think of these truths as scaffolding. As we do this teaching, this is a primary truth that we need to remember. Now, Jesus as Savior, Redeemer, and Forgiver, I mean, that's good news for every one of us. And if you've experienced it, you know that. But we didn't have the rest of the story of Jesus, how he lived his life in the Gospels, just so it could just frame him as Savior. For some of us, we kind of do an opt-out clause on living like him. But he's our example on what to live how to live, what to value, what to prioritize, that what turned his stomach and bothered him should turn our stomach and bother us because we're followers of Jesus. He's our example. And here's the second truth. Jesus is not just interested in behavior modification. Now stop right there. You need to know that most people in your life, they are very interested in your behavior modification. Spouses often are very interested in modifying the behavior of their spouse Parents of their children, uh, bosses of their employees, employees of their bosses. The behavior modification, we live in a world and culture that judges you based on your performance and your behavior, right? It's normal. Some of you work in environments that are very tough, dog-eat-dog type tough. And it's based on performance and behavior. And people are always interested in modifying other people's behaviors, i.e. even controlling them. But Jesus isn't just interested in behavior modification. He's interested in heart renovation. See, Jesus, everything we do at One Church Deal is framed inside the context of our loving relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Every activity we do, every teaching, every worship gathering, it's framed within the idea of a loving relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus is after our hearts, the affections of our hearts. Here's where it gets tough for a kid like me who was raised in the church. Here's what's difficult. Sometimes we're raised in the church, but we're not raised into Christ. But because we are raised in the church, we, we don't know that we're not been raised into Christ. You know you've been raised in the church and not into Christ when rules and guilt and shame kind of, they dominate the landscape of your spiritual experience. Raised into Christ means that we've been raised to walk with Christ and in his way. There's a big difference. You see the difference? There's a massive difference between the two ways we approach this. See, when you're just raised in the church, sometimes Ideas like grace and love just sound like fluffy words instead of powerful, shaping, life-altering words. And here's what happens. We put the emphasis then on, on behavior and holiness before grace and love. Now, listen, if you've experienced a grace and loving relationship with Jesus, the natural extension of that will begin to be a change in behavior and to walk into holiness. But I'll explain how that happens later. But you can't get the cart before the horse. If you do, you're in for a toxic cycle. You're really, what you're doing is adapting how the world says this world should operate, behavior and performance, and putting it onto Jesus and what Jesus has for us. And when you do that, you change the narrative. So I got married 26 years ago. And when I married Shelly, I signed up for a number of rules. I think she's probably here today and maybe she'll amen those rules. But you know, I, I signed up. One of the rules was to love her for better, for worse. One of the rules was to care for her in sickness and in health. One of the rules was to be faithful her, to her only until we're departed by death. Death departs us from one another. Those were the rules I signed up for. And then when we got married, I realized there's a whole other list of rules that I didn't sign up for and nobody told me about. It's the fine print. It's the fine print. But nevertheless, there are rules in a relationship. There are rules in, in that relationship. And here's what I know. If my relationship with Shelley was based on rules and obligations... It would not take long for me to become bitter, resentful, angered, to feel cheated. I know what I'd feel overall, and so would you, exhausted and tired. Because when you're in that type of relationship that's framed by obligations and rules, it doesn't matter how, work you, how hard you're working at it, you, you could be working hard enough, but you'll never be good enough. Because you can't win inside of a relationship built on rules and obligations alone. Now, rules and obligations are not bad things, but they need to flow out of relationship. Now, I happen to love Shelly, so I honor her. And one of the things I've noticed in a relationship where you love someone, the things that are important to them, they may not matter to you, but they become important to you. Why? Because you honor that person. You love that person. The things they like, you start to like. The things that, that, maybe some of the things that are in their heart, you start to listen to or you start to mold to. The same should be true of our relationship with Jesus. You could follow Jesus and it's based on behavior modification and rules and regulations and obligations. And church will always be the church that guilt built. You will be fueled with shame and guilt 
And religions can use that to control people. People use it to control other people. And we have totally missed the point. When you love Jesus, and the longer you love Jesus, and the deeper you fall in love with him, you start to love the things he loves. The things that disturb him, they start to disturb you. The things he prioritizes, you kind of want to prioritize because you love him. It's a totally different type of fuel. So remember these two scaffoldings as we go through this whole series. Jesus is not just your savior, he's our example. And remember this, Jesus is not just interested in behavior modification, he is interested in a heart renovation. You know, often we forget that little verse that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. We think it's the wrath of God that will lead us to repentance. No, the wrath of God might change your behavior for a little while, but it won't change your behavior long-term. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Friends, could we be missing something primary in our relationships with others in the way we fuel it to see behavior change? I wanna explore that a little bit with you today and I'm going to invite you to turn to page 26 in your Jesus Project book, Luke chapter 3. And as you're going there, we're going to watch a little video while you're going there. This video is something I found online that I thought would help us identify with the power of approval in all of our lives. Every one of you has been made to need approval, and we're all guided by it. But this is a humorous video, but the humor's very dry. So you got to start laughing from the beginning. Okay, you've already started. Let's watch the video. After many years of searching, I've discovered that the purpose of my life is to get other people's approval. When you get approval, it gives you a deep, permanent satisfaction of feeling happy for about five minutes. If people saw the real me, they could never love me. But when I'm being who I think I should be, then people can definitely love the person who I'm pretending to be. Yes, I'm religious. I worship people's expectations. It gets me anointed with their approval. On your quest for approval, it's also important to look a certain way. So you want to live up to society's expectations of what you should look like. The anxiety that I suffer from by constantly worrying about how I look to other people drives me to work out manically. And that only elevates my approval ratings. I want to be what other people want me to be. I want people to want me to be something. Otherwise, I wouldn't know what to be. And I don't want that. Five years ago, I sat down with my parents to have them coach me on how I can be less of a severe disappointment to them. It turns out to get my father's approval, all I have to do is make millions and never show any emotion. And all my mother wants from me is to give her grandchildren, never let another woman be more important to me than she is, and for me to be completely responsible for making her happy. No problem. Okay, so ridiculous. But how many know that people have expectations of you, right? That's not a bad thing. We expect things. We expect, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. There's an element of that that can be healthy. But living for the approval of others can also be very toxic. But every one of us needs approval. You are born with it. Actually, children who don't receive uh, approval often build insecurities in their life. Approval builds security in a child's life. Just like water and food is a necessity, so is approval. So you and I were born, you were born, right? And when you're born, each one of us was born with, I'm going to call it an approval button. And that approval button was placed in your parent's hand. 
And they were the ones that actually represented God to you. And, you know, parents, that's a lot of responsibility. But, you know, we, people, our children, especially before the age of accountability, they experience God through their parental oversight. Now, sometimes uh, God is able to make up the deficits because every parent has a deficit, don't we? That's why I'm always big, and you hear me often say, you know, one of the states of maturity is we forgive our parents. Why? Because even the best of us are not going to do everything right. And a lot of parents live with a lot of regrets when they look over their shoulder. But I often remind myself, listen, they did what they could do with what they had. And that's a lot what my parents would do, the best they could with what they had. But everyone's falls short there. But they had this approval button. And depending on the home you, you were raised in, sometimes you didn't hear it very often. Now, see, the button's not working. That's why you have a backup button. No, nobody rang the button. And so you never heard someone say, I approve of you. I approve of you. And that kind of deficit of approval created kind of a great, and I've unchecked, an addiction to approval. I don't know how many of us have an approval addiction, a people-pleasing addiction. I'm the only one with my hand up. <laughs> you know, it's so easy to fall into, and you fall and you begin to live for the approval of others. Now, a lot of parents would say, listen, I'd ring that approval button more, more often if my children behaved better, because we wrongly connect approval with behavior. Now, why do we do that? Because that's the world we live in. Some of you live in a world that the only time anyone rings this bell is when your performance is here or when your behavior is here or when you're this compliant. So you're not used to the idea that someone could be approving of the person but not the behavior. You mean they're not connected? Well, you need to thank God they're not. We need to thank God they're not. And I'll show you in a moment why we need to do that. Now, here's what happens. People get in relationships, and we're actually in a culture in the world right now where parents give their approval button to their children. And they're living for their children to approve of them. And, and then who controls the home then? The children run the home. Or they put on the weight of their own happiness on their children that if I, you know, you've got to please me, make me happy. And that's the surest way for your child not to be autonomous and grow up to be a healthy contributing member of society. Instead, they're going to become incredibly dependent for the rest of their lives. People get into marriage, and a place that should be the primary source of approval becomes a desert of disapproval because we think to ourselves, if only she would, then I would. If only he would, then I would press the button. And we are relating approval always to performance or to some sort of behavior thing. Here's the scary part. It's scary for me when I learned this early, and many of you have been parents for many years, you've learned this. When your kids go to school, you don't get to keep the approval button at home. They take it to school with them. And they start to pass it around. Because this goes wherever they go. And they sometimes put it in the hands of people that we wish they didn't. Because those people only press the button if they're doing something that they want them to do. And some kids, because we're young and we're impressionable, will do things that might be counter, even if they're a follower of Jesus, or counter their character or their values, but, but, but they're so desperate to hear someone press the button and say, I approve of you. They'll do things that maybe they wouldn't normally do. 
And then as adults, you know what this is like. We start, as we grow in relationships, we start giving this approval button to people who, who really, they don't care about us, they just care about what they can get from us. So in order to hear the sound that you were created to need to hear, you want to hear, you sometimes do things that you wish you hadn't and your life begins to be filled with all these regrets because our search for approval in this world has woundedness attached to it. It's dangerous at times. See, here's, here's the approval button truth number one. It's simply this. Whoever has the button has the power. Is that not true? I mean, you know, I think about how important friends became in my children's lives as they got older, and, and all of a sudden, mom and dad's importance kind of dissipated, or at least influence seemed to, because theirs grew, and the approval button in their hands meant more than the approval button in my hand. And there was a tension in all of this, but I know this. That's why we always had an open, open home, like all their friends over to our house. Why? Because I wanted to know who was in their life. As friends, I don't know, you, you look at your five closest friends and that's the person you're becoming. That could be good news. That could be really tough news. If your five closest friends are negative or sour or, or maybe uh, moving away from God or not, you, you'll become those people that you hang out with. Why? Because we, we want to we hear that button. And so the approval button, whoever has it, that's why you got to be careful who you place this in. The fact is, you probably have a few different approval buttons, and we leave them in different places, but be very careful. See, sometimes in life you meet someone especially in the workplace or something. You'll meet someone that's willing to press the button as long as you're compliant and agreeable. And the moment you aren't, you can't find that button anywhere. And they're confusing at times. Have you ever met these people that are confusing? Sometimes they seem to lean on the button. And it's ridiculous. It's like over-the-top approval. Like, you're amazing. And then at different points in time, when you're not doing something they like or something, they hide the button. You haven't heard it ring for a long time. And then there's that little part in you that starts to want to do what they want so you can hear it again. See, this is how people control people. This is how parents can control children. This is how religions control masses. This is how people begin to control other people in your life. That's why being careful who you put this in, whose hand you put this in is so important. Now, it's... Jesus is a fascinating story because as we learned in week one, in week one, he put this hand in, at 12 years old, he took the approval button from Joseph and put it in his father's hand. Remember the story? He's in the temple and they're looking for him. And he said, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know I need to be in my father's house? And Mary's like, wait, your father's Joseph. Whoa, whoa. You mean you're living for this father's approval over this father's approval? Now, they don't have to be in conflict. But for Jesus, it was settled early. Where the primary approval button of his life would reside. See, I think this is what I forgot a lot of my life. Maybe because I'm a middle kid. Maybe it's because of how I was raised. Maybe it's probably my personality. It's probably a lot of things that contribute to it. But, you know, who likes to not be liked? But you know, Jesus was okay with not being liked. Jesus was okay. He wasn't running a popularity contest. You notice that about him? 
In fact, he says in Luke chapter 6, we'll get to it later in our series. He says in Luke chapter 6 to his followers, he said this, beware. He says this, beware when every, anyone likes, everyone likes you. Beware if everyone likes you. Because, because that, when, when everyone likes you, then maybe, maybe there's a reason why they do. To beware of it. Now, this kind of flies in the face of what we might read in Scripture where Paul would say, hey, live at peace whenever possible, as long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Or as the Apostle Peter would say, a good reputation is to be valued because a good reputation reflects Jesus to the world and culture around you. But Jesus would say, be careful, though, if everyone likes you. Be careful if everyone speaks well of you. Because perhaps maybe you're living the type of life that is so comfortable, so safe, so status quo, that it's a non-factor. Perhaps maybe you're so ingrained in the culture that there's nothing that differentiates you from that. So if you've got it, page 26, Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Pastor Keith is going to do our reading right from the River Jordan. Let's watch the screens. I'm at the side of the Jordan River. You look across the river, that's the country of Jordan. I'm in Israel, sort of the West Bank of Israel right now. This site was closed for years because of minefields. And don't worry, Pastor Jonathan was careful driving us in here. We didn't hit any minefields. But it's, it's just been opened up in recent years. They cleared minefields away, opened it up so that uh, groups can come in, people can be water baptized at the very site where Jesus uh, would have been water baptized. Uh, the reason why this site was uh, closed was for military reasons, but uh, the churches had been here for centuries uh, recognizing this as the site. And uh, so when Jesus was baptized, something very, very special happened. Listen to the scripture. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized also. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So in our community groups, we're gonna actually read beyond that as we look at some of the genealogy and we're gonna look at the significance of Luke's genealogy, but that's not for today. Let's focus on these two verses. Starts out and it just says one day, and I love how it does that because, friends, every day has the potential for change. Every day has the potential for change. We know that for bad often because some people live with incredible anxiety and worry about each day, but we don't often think of in faith and potential. The potential for change today is so great. And one day, Jesus, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. There's our, exa our example. He was praying. Now, next week, Pastor Keith is going to lean into his prayer life. It's going to be a fat, I know you're going to enjoy that. Make sure you're here. The, the, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended. Now, if you're following along, circle that word descended in your notes because this represents that God shows up in this moment to express approval to his son. This is a, a moment where he physically became present. He descended on him like a dove in bodily form. 
Now, that imagery of a dove is something we've talked about in our conversations on the Holy Spirit series. We've talked about it on and off, especially as we taught in this text a number of times. Uh, The Holy Spirit and the imagery of a dove harkens back to the creation narrative. When the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, and the rabbis likened that to being like a dove hovering over. And so this imagery is very rich. It would go right back to the beginning of creation. And then it says, and a voice from heaven said, Now, you want to circle that word voice, because not only does God show up, he speaks up. And these are the ways that we both receive and give approval, showing up and speaking up. So a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. So the first thought here is simply presence, presence. That we both receive approval and we give approval through presence. You know know what that's like. Uh, You remember, don't you remember when things were at its worst who showed up? You remember, don't you? You remember, I remember our family going through a season of grieving. I'll never forget who showed up. And equally, do you remember sometimes when it was a, uh, an important moment, you remember who didn't show up? And those things inform or validate or we feel approval through presence. Now, this is why your primary approval button is so important. Who holds your primary approval button? Because the fact is, as good as your parents are, and you may have been blessed with great parents, they're not perfect. Newsflash. And they can't be everywhere always. Only God can. So the primary approval button wasn't designed to remain in their hand. There may be an approval button in their hands, but it's not the primary one. The primary approval button was meant to be left in God's hands, just as Jesus left it there. If we leave it in the parent's hands, a pastor's hands, a boss's hands, a spouse's hand, a child's hand, a a family member's hand, we are going to live a disappointed life. Because they can't possibly meet that need for approval that you and I both have. So the idea of approval is that Jesus kind of, he was able to resist the lure of the crowds, the religious leaders, the powerful people, even his friends who would sometimes, and his family, who would try to get him off mission because it was as if his approval rating rested with a higher authority, a higher authority than them alone. So friends, Jesus says, be careful if everyone speaks well of you. Because really, you want to hear these words. And when that approval button is in God's hands, you long to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we live this life not just to approve or for the approval of others, but ultimately for his approval in our life. The problem is, friends, we often forget that Jesus already approves of us. I was thinking about it this last week. This last week, I got a text message from my wife, Shelly, on Thursday. It's right here. Thursday, 9.06 p.m. Now, these are, are scratched out because they're, they're none of your business. So the, 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 the Thursday one, though, at 9.06 p.m., I get this text. I just came home. She was coming off shift. She was working until 9 o'clock, and I just got home. I was at meetings. So I come in at 9 o'clock, and, and I get this text. Is someone coming at 9.06 Then I checked my phone log. I received a call at 9.07 p.m. And it's Shelly. You got people like that in your life? 
Like if you don't tax, text them back instantly, they think something's wrong and they're on you. Like, why don't you, why don't you get, what, what, what are you doing? And the first words out of her mouth, and she's in the room right now. She says, she said, I've been texting you. Yeah, I can see like one minute ago. <laughs> so she says this. She said, who's coming to pick me up? I said, uh, Shelly, you have the vehicle. What had happened is she forgot because she doesn't often have the vehicle at work. So she, work is done. She's waiting for me to pick her up or someone at our house to pick her up. She even came outside, looked around the parking lot. The vehicle was there where she parked it earlier in the day, but she wasn't looking for it. She wasn't looking at all for it. And so she didn't even notice it, came back inside. And she's a little frustrated when this comes at 9.06 p.m. Is anyone coming? Hey, are you coming to pick me up? You know, we're a lot like that. All of us need approval. And because we have the habit of looking for it to come in certain forms in certain ways, uh, we overlook the fact that God already approves of you. Uh, he has parked his truck of approval right in your very soul. Uh, actually, Paul, the apostle, says it this way. He says, God's spirit touches our spirits. That if you're a follower of Jesus, God's spirit is inside of you and confirms who we really are. I mean, you got people telling you who you really are all the time, especially if they want to control you. But no, God's spirit is already parked in your life confirming who you really are. Who are you? Well, we know who he is and we know who we are. Why? Because his spirit is reminding us constantly. We are father and children, sons and daughters of the king. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. So this idea is simply this. That in life, we all need approval, but many of us have, we're looking to people, or we're looking for success, or we're looking for it in our workplace, when it's already parked in your parking lot. And the engine's running, and Jesus is leaning on the button. See, friends, here's a truth that is worth writing down today, and it's simply this. If Jesus didn't approve of you, he wouldn't have come for you. If Jesus didn't approve of you, he would not have come for you. But he showed up, friends. Why? Because that's one of the ways you express approval. You show up. And Jesus showed up. And you're going to see it at the end of the message. While we were yet unacceptable. While we were not really approvable. But, but I wasn't behaving well. I know that. See, he showed up because he already approved of us, and he shows up. So I, I, was, I read this quote, um, I don't know when it was, but I was sharing it this last week with Shelly because it, it just I kept resonating with me over and over. And so I want to include it in the message. It's one of my favorite authors and teachers, Timothy Keller. He said this, he said this, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. Don't you love that, friends? Now, unpack that for a minute. God sees you as you really are. Not the version I see, not the version your spouse sees, not the version your children sees. He sees you as you really are. And I love this. And he loves us as we are. But you don't know. 
at work, my performance wasn't up to par, or you know, maybe your performance review with your spouse wasn't so great this year. I don't know. He loves you as you are. Right now. I don't know what you're doing with your spare time. And he knows everything you're doing. Because he sees you just as you are. But he loves you just as you are. And this is the one that I think I have trouble with, you have trouble with. Because the world does not do this. And accepts us, us as we are. See, we think acceptance of someone means to be accepting their behavior. And God kind of delineates those two, and you thank God he does. We think approval of others should be based purely on their behavior. If you behave well, I'll approve of you. And we don't see the image of God stamped in people's lives. We don't look beyond the behavior to see the heart of an individual. But God always does. He looks not at the outside, but on the inside. And I love this. And this is why grace and love are so powerful, friends. He never leaves us as we are. You and I are in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus as we live a more surrendered life to him. Isn't that good news, friends? See, you give and receive approval by showing up. It's your presence in people's lives and and God's presence in our lives that we experience approval. The second thing we see in the text there is words. Words, not just showing up, but speaking up. So this voice from heaven says, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And these words come from Isaiah chapter 42. It's a messianic prophecy that the prophet Isaiah speaks about the Messiah that is coming. And it not only uh, tells these words that the father speaks over the Messiah, but it also tells you what the Messiah is going to do. The words in the message version are so powerful. It says this, take a good look at my servant. This is God speaking about the Messiah. God speaking about Jesus, the Father. Take a good look at my servant. I'm backing him to the hilt. Presence. This whole baptism experience happens in public. This is not private affirmation, although that could be a good thing. It's Jesus declaring to everyone that's listening in that moment, as well as God declaring to everyone listening in that moment, as well as to Jesus, hey, I got your back. I got your back. I know you're headed into three years of hard ministry that's going to end with your death, but I got your back. I'm backing you to the hilt, to the end. Man, I wish some of us could hear the Spirit whisper that over our lives. He's the one I chose, and I couldn't be more pleased with him. I bathed him with my spirit and my life. And this is his mission. He declares what the Messiah would do. He won't brush aside the bruised, And the hurt, thank God. And he won't disregard the small and insignificant, but he'll steadily and firmly set things right. Listen to this. He won't tire out and quit. He won't be stopped until he's finished his work to set things right on this earth. I love these words. I love them because they're they're, they're filled with meaning. They're not empty words. He lived this life. He did it. But I love the words of the father affirming his son when he says this. Did you notice it? I'm backing you, son. I'm backing you. I chose you. I'm pleased with you. In this beautiful, beautiful moment, 
Amazing how powerful words are, aren't they? When I was 19 years old, I was working for the summer trying to make money to study theology the rest of the year. So I'm a kid from New Brunswick, and so you go where the money is, and the money was in lumber there. And I remember spending a summer with a chainsaw in the woods cutting down soft, softwood. And then in the evening and af- uh, afternoons, I trained horses. And I worked with these great guys. One guy was a, a retired police officer. He was in his mid-40s, but he had kind of left that vocation to kind of go into something else. And, but I, I mean, I looked up to this guy. I mean, I'm 19 years old. This guy was tough. He knew how to shoot. He was fantastic. And then I also a guy named Dana Wellner. And Dana was kind of a visionary leader of this ranch and everything else. And one day, they, at 19, they tapped me on the shoulder and they said, hey, we're going to go to Maine. It's a state just south of, of New Brunswick uh, because there's a horse there we're thinking of buying. We want you to come. So I thought, I'm 19. What else do I have to do? I get a little bit of work and it's a road trip. So as we're walking towards the truck, Greg tosses me the keys and he said, you drive. Whew, I felt the weight of that. Because, uh, you know, police officers tend to be great drivers. I'm 19. I know how to drive fast. That's what I do. And when we get into the truck, it was interesting. He popped out the cass- his cassette because he said, you drive your music. Oh, I'm sorry. You get Gen Zs in the room, do we? A cassette is this. A cassette, was, uh, cassette looks like this. And uh, it's a lot like a CD. Oh, not helpful? Okay, uh, a lot like an MP3 or your Spotify list, right? So he just basically said, listen, if you're driving, it's your Spotify list. And you know what was interesting? By the end of this hours-long trip, they had listened to so much of my music, they actually started to like it. Some of them, and they started saying, can you play that over? And I learned a powerful truth. You can't learn to love somebody else's music unless you turn your own off. That's another story. Okay, let's keep going. So... So in that context, I'm driving down to Maine. They've fallen asleep. They've woken up. And we we get just outside of where we're going to arrive, and we stop to eat. And Greg gets out of the truck, and he comes around to my side, puts his arm around me, and said, Jonathan, you're a great driver. I mean, you're fast, but you're a great driver. Do you know what kind of driver I was going home? An even better driver. I felt like I was 10 feet tall. I had this man who occupied a space in my life that I looked up to. And guys, I'm 49 years old. That's 30 years ago, and I remember it like it's like yesterday. Why? Approval is that powerful. I learned a lot in that moment. It doesn't cost you a lot to extend some approval to people in your lives. It really doesn't. It doesn't even take a lot of time. He noticed something in me, and it's just driving skills. That's all it was in that moment. But I felt like I was 10 feet tall. How are you doing at expressing approval to the people in your lives? How are you doing? Uh, You know, some of us, because of the world we've lived in, it's been so miserly with approval towards us, sometimes we think that toughens the people up in our lives, and we've got a misunderstanding of what approval does, actually. I mean, consequences are real things for bad behaviors. Those are good things for people. But approval is so important. So important that Jesus just didn't need to hear it once from his dad. In fact, you'll find later in Luke, if you turn to page 78 in your Jesus Project book, in the Mount Transfiguration, Peter 
uh, James and John, or I was going to say Peter, Paul, but Peter, James, and John ascend to the mountain with Jesus, and a voice from heaven speaks. It says this. Look at this. It says, then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now, why did God need to restate this to Jesus? Because we leak approval all the time. God, if Jesus needed more than one affirming moment, chances are you need many. We need to be generous with our approval. Uh, you know, what good is unspoken affirmation? This leads to the last truth, approval button number two. We press the approval button by showing up and speaking up in people's lives. That's how we press it. You know, I could think great things about you, but if I never say it, how will you ever know it? You know the old funny joke about the husband, the wife said, do you love me? And he said, I told you I loved you once. If that changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, what a terrible joke though, right? Because it's not that she's needy. It's because you don't leave a vacuum there for insecurity to grow. You are expressing approval to the people you care about most in this life. You know, words unshared aren't that powerful. And then unattended moments does not fuel confidence. And this is what's beautiful about putting this in God's hand. He always shows up. When you're at your worst, Jesus shows up. And not only does he show up, he speaks up. When the accuser of the brethren is coming at you and reminding you and telling you, you're not this, you're not that, you are this, you're that, he stands up and he speaks up and he says, no, He's covered in my righteousness. He's a child of mine. And basically, to the enemy of your souls, sit down. He's there advocating on your behalf. He's the author and finisher of your faith, but he's a lover of your soul. And he stands up and he speaks up often. I think we don't do more of it because we have an improper view of how approval works. Here, here's a, here's a, we think that if we give approval... If the behavior's not there, the behavior won't change. The Bible would say, and the way it's uh, in Scripture, it would be approval is what lends to heart renovation. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It is his love that transforms the heart. And from the heart, your behavior is, comes. You know, you know out, of your mouth, uh, out of your mouth comes words that are already stored up in your heart. Our behaviors reveal our values and what's really in our hearts. And basically, some of us withhold approval because of behavior. And we're losing. We'll never win on the behavior front. Someone might behave better because they fear you. What kind of relationship is that, though? It comes down to approving of the person, not the behavior. How do you do that? Well, do you remember in week one we talked about that you don't love your child more just because they learn to read? You're pleased, you're proud of them, but you know, your child does successful things in this life, you're proud of them, that's great. But, but you don't love them more for that, you love them the same. And it's the same with bad behavior. You know, when you realize after you walk through this life a little bit that even people don't like you, you can still love them? That their disposition is not contingent or doesn't need to shape my disposition. 
And somebody's bad behavior, as much as that needs to change, and it may need to, and life has a way of getting in the way of people who are behaving in a way that's destructive. But I can still approve of the human being that's in front of me. Through the layer of bad behavior and everything, they are fearfully and wonderfully made, stamped in the image of God, and they matter a lot to him, and so they matter a lot to us. Jonathan, how do you, how do, you do that? Well, you've got to remember how Jesus approved of you while you're yet unapprovable. Paul says it this way, last verse. God showed his great love for us by sending presence, showing up, by sending Christ to die for us while we were unapprovable, while we were unacceptable, while we were unlovable, while we were immersed in a behavior that was counter his kingdom, Christ came for us in the middle. Why? Because he approves of you. He's the author. He knit you together in his mother's womb. And see, friends, my heart is through this series, you're going to fall so deeply in love with Jesus, so deeply in love with Jesus, that your behavior will begin to be shaped because you love him and you start to love what he loves. You start to value what he values. You start to prioritize what he prioritizes. Let's pray. Father, I don't know how many times I've stood on this stage or Pastor Keith has, and we've said thank you for your son, Jesus. And they just sound like the right words to say, but God, sometimes I, I just feel the limitation of them. God, I don't know if you had not stepped into my life and spoke your approval over my life. I, I already have a glimpse of where I'd be. And God, I know that would be true of my friends in front of me. And some people in this room have endured a lot, God, because the only time they ever got approval or was based on their performance or their behavior. But God, I pray by your spirit, those who are followers of Jesus in this room, I pray by your spirit, they'd walk into the parking lot of their soul and they would see that you've already arrived with your approval. You love them, you cherish them, and you are for them. You are backing them to the hilt. You chose them and you're pleased by them. God, thank you for loving us as we are. Thank you for loving us, God, and knowing us and seeing us as we really are. And God, by your grace and your love, thank you for not leaving us as we are, God. We need change, every one of us. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be transforming minds and hearts and spirits. God, only you can do that. But Lord, I say thank you on behalf of everyone in this room and online for showing up in our life and pressing the approval button. It's made all the difference. And God, in turn, I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes to see good in others. You'd see us, you give us the willingness to form our words. And if we're not peop talking people, God, to show up, whether it's show up or speak up in people's lives, just let them know. We got you. Let them know and be generous with our approval, God, for the people that you've placed around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.